Go ahead and open up your Bibles to the book of Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. Because we are beginning a brand new series of lessons, 10-part series of lessons, on this particular book. Now let me tell you a little bit about this letter. Paul is writing it to the church in Rome. The church in Rome, they had been... They had been in existence for some time now before Paul ever wrote this letter. They were made up of of Jewish and non-Jewish followers of Jesus. But at one particular point, the Roman emperor, Claudius, he, uh, he had all the Jews expelled from Rome. And they were creating some issues here, not necessarily those in the church, but just, uh, just the Jewish people overall. And so they, they got kicked out. About five years later, they're allowed to come back to Rome. And when these Jewish believers came back, they found a church that was very much non-Jewish in their culture, in their practices, and it created tension. They split over these issues. They debated as to whether... Um, you know, non-Jewish believers should to celebrate the Sabbath or to eat kosher or to be circumcised. And so Paul writes this letter as a means of unifying the church. And he basically is letting them know there's no reason whatsoever that you should be looking down on each other. He deals with both factions in, in this thing. And he shows them that what you really should be unified on is what Jesus has done for us. And thankfully, because of the issues that they were having in Rome, we have have one of Paul's greatest letters that tells us what Jesus has done for us. If you know anything about the book of Romans, you know that 10 weeks is not enough. (laughs) There are 16 chapters And it is chalked full of rich, rich content. So Peyton and I are going to do something a little bit different than we normally do in going through a book of the Bible. We're picking out 10 key words that helps us so that when in Romans, whoops, when in Romans, I thought I had a picture there, when in Romans that you'll be able to go in and to, to really get the depth of what he's trying to tell us. And the first word, if you hadn't already seen, is the word gospel. It's used 11 times throughout this letter. It is not used more than any other word by far, but it is at the very heart of the message of what Paul is preaching. Now, when we use the word gospel, I mean, people use it pretty frivolously. Um, We talk about gospel preachers, gospel sermons, gospel music, gospel singers, uh, all kind of things that we attach the word gospel to. And some of these things, they will have little or no gospel in them whatsoever. So the first thing we need to understand is when we come across this word, it's like, what does it mean? It comes from a compound Greek word, euangelon. You meaning good, angelon meaning announcement. It's a good announcement, or probably, as you've heard it before, good news. Paul even uses it uh, that way later on. But the real question is, what's the news? Because as I said, we, we hear all kinds of news, 
Preachers can get up and they can say all kinds of things, and yet they never speak about the gospel. So that takes us into our text, and I want us to notice Romans chapter 1, and we're going to read these first four verses. It says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the euangelon, the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh, and he was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. The very first distinction that we are given in Paul's gospel, it comes right, off, right out of the beginning, and he calls it the gospel of God. And that's important because this is really a major theme as we go through the book of Romans. Is that this gospel is about what God is doing. It's not about our human efforts. It's a, it's a huge uh, topic, as we said, when you get into like Romans chapter 3. And he shows us how important what God has done for us. And Paul says here in chapter 1 verse 2 that we just read, that this is something that wasn't created you know, over the last few months or years. This has been around, he has been promised beforehand for centuries by the prophets of God in the Holy Scriptures. And he tells us that there at the end of the book that it's according to this revelation that God has given to us that had been a mystery. But now it's finally being revealed to the nations. So this is pretty major stuff that he's talking about here. And what Paul is wanting us to see is that the Old Testament and the New Testament, they fit interchangeably. That there are the promises of, of the Old Testament that are fulfilled in the New Testament. And that they are the promises that had been or were being or were going to be fulfilled. And Paul found this connection between what was being said by the prophets and what is being said as to the justification of our faith. And, and, he, and he sees that, that there's this connection between the two. So the gospel, what I want you to understand, the gospel is rooted in the Old Testament soil. You'll see as you go through the book of Romans that he just continues to quote and use allusions back to these Old Testament writings and stories because it's how we understand gospel. You see, many people think that the word gospel is a New Testament word. It didn't come around until that time. It's just simply not the case. There's two Hebrew words that were used. Uh, and they generally were used such as national news or royal announcement. For example, there was a messenger who came back and spoke Basir, good news to King David, to let him know that they had been victorious in battle and that he is still the king of Israel. Later on, King David, he dies. Solomon is placed on the throne. And, and he, they send out these messengers to tell the Besora the good news that Solomon is there. He's the new king. 
Now, if you know much about your Old Testament, you realize that after Solomon, there wasn't a lot of good news that was going to be told to, by the prophets to the kings. They led people, the, the people of God into idolatry. They began to uh, just completely rebel against God at all. And so ultimately, they were carted off into captivity. In Paul's Jewish world, he understood gospel by what the prophet Isaiah had to say. Such as here in Isaiah chapter 40, where the good news came to the people that Babylon has fallen, that, that exile has finally ended. But more importantly, the word was used of good news as to, uh, as to the personal return of Yahweh to Zion. In the book of Isaiah chapter 52, we find this beautiful poem. And, and it's just got this big surprise because it's, it's this poem and it's about Jerusalem has fallen. The temple of God has been destroyed. Many of God's people, they have been carted off. Those who are left behind, they're wondering. They're wondering, what, what does all this mean? Does this mean that God has abandoned us? And suddenly the, this poem shifts. And there is this watchman on a wall and he, he looks out and he sees this man running far off into the hills, and he's coming towards Jerusalem. And he's shouting, good news. Now understand, in that culture, a little bit different than today, when they went off to war, they didn't have, you know, the news channels that were there reporting on the whole thing. So that you know, in, you know, like live time, exactly what's happening. They didn't have radio programs. They didn't have the internet where you could learn instantly. So what happened is that when they would, we, they would do something like these wars and they knew that they were going to, to win in this battle, then they would send out marathon runners as messengers and they were to go to the cities and to share with them the news from the battlefield. So here is this this messenger, and, and he's running towards Jerusalem, and he's shouting good news. And this is what Isaiah says that he speaks. He says, how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. And you look at this and you're like, okay, well, what does this mean? What it's saying is despite Jerusalem's destruction, despite God's temple being destroyed, that God still reigns. And that one day he's coming back to Jerusalem. And he's going to reign on his throne and bring peace if you were to go on and read the rest of the poem in verses 8 through 15. This is the gospel that Paul is referring to here in Romans 1 and verse 2. And it reveals to us who this Isaiah messenger is that's running to Jerusalem. It's none other than his son. In verse 9, notice, he says, For God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son, 
later on. Paul refers to it as the gospel of Jesus Christ, or the gospel of Christ. Jesus is the messenger. He came into the world and he began to spread the message of the coming kingdom, didn't he? God was restoring his reign over his people, Israel, and over the nations. And Jesus is the one that's going to bring it about. The gospel is this dramatic moment when the kingdom of God finally breaks into our world in time and in space. Jesus goes to Jerusalem and and he takes on and confronts the corrupt and the violent kingdoms of the world. And what do they do? They, They put him to death. But Jesus allows that to happen. Because he saw the rebellion of humanity. He saw the sinfulness of man. And he knew not only those past generations and not only the one that he stood in at the moment, but he could look forward and he could see to our generation right now in the 21st century that we are going to rebel against God too. That's why Romans 5 says, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would even dare to die. But God shows his love for us. That's the gospel of God. And that while we were still sinners, Christ, the gospel of Christ, died for us. Tim Keller once said, here's the gospel. You're more sinful than you ever dared to believe. You're more loved than you ever dared hope. A few days later, after Jesus' death, everything changed. Jesus rose with power from the dead to be the true king. He appeared to his disciples, and he sent them out like marathon runners. And he says, go and share the good news that the kingdom has come, that God still reigns, and that he is now on his throne. In Romans chapter 4, he says, It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Christ our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. By the way, that's one of the words you'll learn. In Romans 8, 11, he says, If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. In verse 34, he says, Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Look back at chapter 1 of Romans. Listen to verses 15 and 16. He says, so I am eager to preach the euangelon. I'm, I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also who are at Rome. And then he says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jews first and also to the Greek. 
Paul has come to the heart of the Roman Empire. And he is using a word that they used. It's the same word that was used of an emperor when he was placed in power. Did you know that? Gospel, good news. It's the same exact word. At that particular time, Caesar... Caesar's supposed to be the king of the world. And so for Paul to come to the very capital of the great nation of the Roman Empire and to proclaim good news that Jesus Christ is king, that his kingdom has come into our world, folks, that just put a target on his back. But you know what Paul said? He says, I am not ashamed. I am not ashamed of the gospel. You see, shame is what God's people felt when they were being conquered and defeated. Shame is what Israel and many others felt in Paul's day when, when the Roman Empire uh, made them suffer at their hands. Shame, it may seem like what you and I feel when we feel like that the leaders of this world are ruining things. It, when it feels like that they are in control as if they can do whatever they want because the gospel says, no, Jesus is the king. He's king of the world, no matter what you see. We don't have to be ashamed when world powers try to bring down Christianity. We don't have to be ashamed when our government or powerful people or Hollywood or industries in our country, they try to quiet our message, to try to make us silent. Because Paul knew that the gospel is the power of God. Not that it holds the power. Not that it's accompanied by God's power. He says the gospel is the power of God. He and his disciples, they go out into the Roman world at the time. And they conquer it. They conquer it, but they don't conquer it the way the way kingdoms normally conquer each other. Military armies, they go in and they destroy. We see that in the news every day. But the kingdom of God, the armies go in and they save. Death is a defeated enemy. The gospel emancipates believers from sin. God's salvation, His gospel, its gospel power is unleashed when we speak of this gospel of God, the gospel of Christ. It is what Romans 6 is all about, folks. They did it in writing before accounts of what we call the gospels that tells the story of Jesus and His rise. They spoke the good news by simply talking about it. Look over to Romans 10. You want to see this. See if there's something here that looks a little bit familiar. Romans 10, beginning in verse 14, he says, How then will they call on him whom they have not believed? And how 
are they to believe in him whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, see if this sounds familiar, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. He quotes from Isaiah chapter, uh, Isaiah chapter 52 and verse 7 that we just noticed. He's saying that those who go out and they they unleash the gospel message. He says their, their feet are beautiful. Why is their feet beautiful? Because they carry a beautiful message. We are to continue to announce the good news. We need to tell our children about Jesus. We need to tell them what the Father has done for us. We, we need to tell the people that we know. We need to speak the story. We need to, to, to share it into our community and into our world. We have about 30 beautiful feet this morning who had gone to Antigua and they've come home and they shared gospel. They shared good news. Ask Sasha about it. Sasha is so excited she's texting me from Antigua. As long as I don't get whatever it costs for those texts. But no, she was excited because good news, that's what it does. The gospel reaches out to all of us. He, he, here, he just said in Romans 1 and, and 16, he says this to the Jews first and, and then to those who are non-Jews. And that's simply because that Israel was the allotted portion of God after Babel that the angels are the ones who had been set up over the nations. If you're in my class on Sunday morning, you know exactly what I'm talking about. But he didn't plan for the nations to be under the, those angels who finally rebelled against God and, and brought forth the, the violence and the destruction. He says in Genesis 12, verse 3, he's taking his allotted portion, and he's going to eventually be a blessing to the families of the earth. The Gentiles are latecomers. That's us. At least probably 99% of us. That's us. We're the latecomers. We are the foreign branch that has been grafted into the olive tree of Israel. Read Romans chapter 11 tonight and you'll know what I'm talking about. This is the good news. Because the wall of separation has been taken down. And now all of us, all of us are one in Christ. That's what he goes on to say here in chapter 10, verse 11. He says, for the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. All, that's us. We will receive the blessing. And if we don't really understand what that means... Then, then you may not understand why this is such good news. But listen, the gospel is central. It is the unifying theme of Romans. But I'll be the first to tell you, even though this is good news, there's aspects of this, this kingdom, this, this gospel that's being sent out, that just seems a little bit crazy. Because we start learning about this kingdom of Jesus brings, and we've already seen he conquers a different way. He says... The least in the kingdom are actually the greatest. He says it's, it's those who suffer that actually are going to lead to glory. He says those, those who truly receive are the ones who give. 
And he says these things, and it's like, this is like an upside-down kingdom. But listen, something happens when people tell the story of Jesus, and they actually live their life as if Jesus is the king of this world. That's when the gospel becomes the greatest news that you have ever heard in your life. Listen, when in Romans, soak up the gospel message. Paul writes this letter, and he's, he talks to a group of people who've done that. We learn that they have a common faith, and you'll learn about faith. We learn that they literally are immersed in the gospel, in the death, the burial, and resurrection of Christ. That these are people who have the Spirit of God indwelling in them so that they can overcome and, and to rip off the chains of sin. That they have a common love for one another even though they have a lot of differences. Yeah, Paul came to Rome and he's coming and he's going to continue to share the message, the gospel, the good news to those who are in Rome who have never heard of Jesus but listen to this, he's also coming to Rome to meet with the church to help them mature in their Christian faith. He's coming to Rome to help them grow deeper in the gospel. See, the gospel is not something that just simply ignites our Christian faith. The gospel is the fuel that keeps us going and growing every day. And if you don't know this message of Jesus, we want to tell you about the story of Jesus. And it's going to take more than just me sitting here rambling off some verses. I want to sit down with you. Others in this church would be glad to sit down with you. Just tell you who Jesus is. To tell you what he's done. And to tell you why this book is so powerful. Because of what God has done for us. He came to save us. Because we need saving And maybe you're a person, you just, you know what, you've, you've lost all aspect of good news. And so church for you is just really more about ethical things, moral, moral aspects and ideology. Those aren't necessarily bad, but, but when's the last time we just talked about Jesus? When's the last time we, we shared the good news? If this really is good news, when's the last time we just shared good news with somebody? Let's pray. Father, we come to you this day and we thank you so much for your gospel. We thank you for the good news of your son, Jesus Christ, and all he's done for us. Father, I pray for those in this room and I pray for those that maybe their hearts have been pricked in some way and they, they want to learn more. They want to be, to be saved from this world and its corruption. They want to be saved from themselves. Father, we're just so thankful for the kingdom that you have brought into our world. And we are so thankful for our King. And Father, we just pray you continue to help us, that your Spirit will continue to dwell in us and guide us and lead us in a way that, it, that develops us more and more in the faith. Father, may we never forget your goodness and just how powerful a message this is. Let us, Father, be those beautiful feet that run into our community and before others and to tell them the message. 
We ask all of this, Father, in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.